If you would take out the Word of God and turn to Acts chapter 2. Clay, I, I think I hijacked one of the songs. I was just looking at the order of service and, hey, we can just sing that after the sermon. So, okay, yeah, good. Just doing things on the fly. That's how we like to do it around here. Yep, that's right. <laughs> I think only three people got that joke, so... <laughs> We're having staff meeting right now, so um, isn't it amazing, even in song today, we go in so many different ways. We sing about the nations being glad, um, sing a little high church, all creatures of our God and King, then we go uh, Kentucky, making our missionaries from Kentucky feel at home with the hillbilly playing the electric guitar. It's good. It's good. We are culturally diverse, and it shows in our music. So, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, we continue a sermon series that we're calling Essentials here. Uh, I like to say this because it is who we are. Normally, through preaching, we take a book of the Bible and we work verse by verse, passage through passage through the book. So we understand the Bible. We want to grow in our knowledge of Scripture very intentionally. But to begin the year, we have begun with a series that we're calling Essentials at Ashland, which are our Essentials at Ashland, what we believe to be essential for a healthy disciple in the context of a local church. Uh, And so we asked several weeks ago, are you a Christian? Why are you here? Do you believe the gospel? We want to tell you about Jesus. And then are you a church member? Uh, Are you accountable to a local church? Local churches are the display of the universal church. Yes, Jesus died for the church in general, but the church is displayed in local gatherings. Are you a member of a local church? And then last week, are you attending worship? Are you gathering on the Lord's day to remember who you are in Christ with others? Remember the gospel. Are you doing those things? And so we want to ask those things. And today, The question is, are you uh, in a BFG? Are you engaged in a small group? Are you engaged in that sort of intentional fellowship? And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at verses 42 through 47 in the book of Acts chapter 2, and we're going to talk in general about fellowship. And then we're going to talk about how that is fleshed out in our Bible fellowship groups at Ashland. Uh, But before we do that, I do want to say, I've tried to say this so clearly, we we realize that everybody is at a different level with every single one of these questions. And so don't hear these things as rules, as regulations. These are questions that are like a map. Where am I? Where am I in this journey? Where am I in context of a local church? And we just want to have these conversations. Uh, we, we just want to talk to you about these things. We want you to ask the questions. And so we realize not everybody's ready to be uh, a church member. Not everybody's ready to serve in certain ways. And not everybody may be ready to, to be in a, a Bible fellowship group. But we just want you asking the questions. And that's why we're doing this series. So Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. The Dr. Luke writes to us, describing the work of the Spirit in the context of the church. And he says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. 
and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and giving the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Oh God, thank you for the opportunity to look at your word today. God, I pray that you would teach us what it means to be in fellowship with one another. What it means to hold the gospel in common, to share it together. And God, I pray that this word would, would, would change our church. God, I pray that we would, as individuals, experience genuine, real, biblical gospel fellowship. That it wouldn't be just something we talk about, but it would be real in our lives because we are pursuing it. We are aggressive in loving and serving others, holding others as we hold the gospel. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Those people would die for each other. I, I will have to admit, as the lady said those words, I was somewhat amused by her statement. I actually couldn't believe she was saying what she was saying. And in the moment, I was taken back by just how cultish it sounded. Because she was talking about a local church. And in her mind, it didn't seem exaggerated. It didn't seem like she was overstating something. It seemed like she, had, she really believed this was a reality about a local church. She was looking for churches and she was asking about folks in the uh, community. What's this church like? What's that church like? Um, what's the worship there like? What's the preaching like? And she was getting a lot of different opinions. Well, this is what this church does well. And this is what this church does well. And then it came to one particular church. And she said, oh, the, the worship there's good. And the, she said, but the thing about that church is they really, really love one another to the point that they would die for one another. And, and those words just it took me back. And I'll be honest with you. I was like, that's not true. I've never, that's not true. I, I've actually never heard that said about any church. But as we look at the book of Acts, we see it's exactly what these folks are experiencing Notice in verse 42, as the church is growing, as the gospel is moving to the ends of the earth, remember Jesus in Jerusalem at Passover, he has promised to his disciples that they would receive the Spirit and they would witness the truth that he had been raised from the dead, that he has ascended to the right hand, that he is God's King. And the apostles begin to preach that message. And folks, by the thousands are believing. And they begin to gather in little communities called the church. And they begin to do certain things together. Notice here the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Literally, devoted means they set themselves apart to the apostles' teaching. Now, as the gospel is moving into new areas, 
as the gospel moves from Jesus, his resurrection, his ascension, as it moves from Jerusalem to, to Gal- through, throughout the known world, as it, as it begins to move out, churches are formed and they have to know, what do we believe? Who is this Jesus? And how are we to live together? What are the things we are supposed to do? And so the apostles began to teach the commands of Christ. They even began to write letters that we have as foundational in the New Testament letters that are given to us. The apostles are actually, because of this, called the foundation of the church. And so Lord's Day after Lord's Day, folks who are a part of the church are setting themselves apart to come and hear what the apostles are saying, to come hear the word of Christ through the apostles to them. And notice, they devoted themselves, set themselves apart to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, fellowship means to share together. It means to hold in common. And so what the church is recognizing Sunday after Sunday, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, we talked about this last week, the day Jesus rose from the dead, they set aside for this kind of worship and they are gathering together Lord's Day after Lord's Day to remember we share Jesus in common. We share this message that has changed our life in com- uh, together. And they are sharing this together. They are fellowshipping together, remembering what holds them together, Jesus and his mission and his message. And notice what they are also doing, breaking bread. This probably refers to the Lord's table, the ordinances, which they are doing to remember Jesus. And they've devoted themselves to prayer. Actually, the word here is praise. So they're singing They're probably singing the Psalms together. And so they're gathering together around the Word of God, remembering the gospel, celebrating the ordinances, baptism, and the Lord's table, and they are singing about the worth of Christ. And notice what happens. And awe came upon every soul. The church is just getting together, they're just having worship, they're singing. They're studying the word of God. They're remembering the gospel. And the word for all here is dread. So they're getting together, remembering these things, and they're scared. As much joy that's happening in the context of the church, there is a sense of reverence and fear. The kingdom of Christ has come upon us. We know each other because of the kingdom. We believe these things together because of Jesus. And they are in awe of what God is doing among them. And then we see the many signs and wonders that are done through the apostles. Remember in the gospels, Jesus, he goes about and he preaches the kingdom is at hand. And to prove that the kingdom is at hand, he does all kinds of miracles. He heals the sick. The blind can see. The lame are walking. He even stands on a boat and he controls nature. He controls the wind. He controls the waves. Jesus himself raised the dead. And all of that was a picture to say the power of God is at hand. There is a kingdom coming that will conquer sin and death. And I want you to look into this window as I heal the sick. As I speak to nature and it obeys me, as I raise the dead, I want you to look in this window. This is the kingdom that's coming that will reverse sin and death in the world. And now, in the context of the church, those sort of signs and wonders are there. 
to say in the church, now you have a window into the kingdom. You want to see the power of God? Look at the church. One of the things we see with the church is as the gospel moves to people from all nations and their different languages throughout the book of Acts, you see the gift of tongues where people speak in different languages, but they all understand the same gospel. And that was a gift that was being displayed in the church to say, as the church marches from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, you are looking into a window of the kingdom. Look at the church's mission as it moves to the end of the earth. This is the kingdom of God that is coming into the world. Look at the power of God. And so it goes from the signs and wonders that Jesus is doing himself to now the sign and wonder is the fellowship of the church. You want to know that God is present in the world? The kingdom is present? Look, look, look around. The sign is the church. The power of God to change your life, to forgive you of your sins, to give you hope after death. It's right here. This is the sign. And it's displayed in our fellowship. And so to display this, the church gets together week after week and they hold some things in common, the text says. This is why we have to understand that biblical fellowship is so much more than a potluck. It's so much more than let's hang out, let's get together. Those things are a part of it. But, but, it, but biblical fellowship in the church is a sign that Jesus is present. And we get together to say, Jesus is here. Jesus is among us. The power of the kingdom that's changing my life is changing your life. And our fellowship displays the kingdom. That's why it's so important that we understand the goal of our worship is really fellowship around what we hold in common. The, the church that is merely attractional that says, we're going to get together Sunday after Sunday, and we're going to attract people that don't know Jesus, that have not believed the gospel. They are merely attractional. Over time, their fellowship will be weak. Because they're never coming together saying, what are the same things we believe? What, what, are, what, are, what do we hold in common? The gospel, the word of God. Jesus is worth. Remember what makes us who we are. And so we think about VBS around here. The week of VBS, what are we doing? We are ministering the gospel to children. And we organize our ministry so kids can understand the gospel. So kids can be excited about Jesus. So we can connect with their families. But every week around here can't be about VBS. We can't have a big adult VBS every week because we have to get together and be reminded, no, we hold some things in common. And so the gathering of the church, the first goal is our fellowship around what we hold in common. And as we do that, we welcome the world in. I mean, think about what we've done here today. We've prayed for unbelievers in our life and around the world, so we're not against them being welcomed into the kingdom. The kingdom is hospitable. The kingdom is welcoming. But we hold the kingdom together, and we have to be reminded of that in worship. And so what do we do? We do the same thing the church does here. We gather around the same word. We are not private, individual Christians having our devotions in a group setting here. 
This is the church collectively hearing one word. Jesus, we believe, all of us, we believe your word is the authority. And so we come before this one word that is perfect and true. And we want you to tell us how to live. And as we together reach out and we grab that word, all of us in here are grabbing the word of God. Guess what we're doing? We're holding one another. As we hold to the word of God, we are holding one another. We hold the word of God in common. And guess what happens? Our fellowship is strengthened. We come in here and we we celebrate the ordinances. Today, we laid hold to the kingdom as we celebrated baptism. There was one who said, I was dead in my sin. Now I'm alive in Christ. And guess what we all in here said at the same time? Yes, that was me. I was dead in my sin, and now I'm alive in Christ. And we hold to the gospel in that ordinance. We, we lift the glass, and we lift the bread, and we say, the kingdom is coming, and we are all holding the ordinances with the Lord's table and baptism. And as we do it, we're holding one another. And we look around the room, and we say, I am holding this kingdom in common with people who aren't like me. People who make more money than me. People who make less money than me. People who have this sin struggle. But I have this sin struggle. And we lay hold of the kingdom together. The word of God in the gospel together. And it strengthens our fellowship. These things the church is celebrating here. They are the galactic cosmic things that bind us together in an otherworldly fellowship. And if we're not doing that, going, let's stop. And let's be reminded what makes us who we are. The word of God and the gospel. And we reach out and we grab it together on a Sunday. And as we do, we're holding one another together. Notice the text continues. And all who believe together, they they had all things in common. Again, there is a further description of fellowship. We hold the kingdom together. And now we hold our stuff together. Notice, all who are believing from from Pentecost on, thousands are believing. And they're coming together holding the kingdom. And so naturally what happens is they begin to look at one another and say, now all of our stuff we hold in common. Notice this is shocking. Verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and giving the proceeds to all who had any need. Now when I read that, some of you go, you saying the Bible teaches communism? I know some of you. Some of you guests here today are like, hold on. I just bought that truck. I ain't selling it and giving it to the church. I'm not going to ask you to do that. If you want to do that, that's fine. But that's not what the text is teaching. The point here is that the church begins to share the cost it takes to be Christians together. They're not coming with handouts, not developing a commune, but they live in a world where now they are believing in a kingdom, and as they follow this king, they are separating themselves from others. Their family's disowning them. They're losing their job. And so what do they have to do as a church? They have to bind together, and they have to take care of one another because it costs to be a Christian in this culture. That's what they're sharing in common. They're holding together in fellowship the cost that it takes to be a Christian. It costs you your job. Okay, I guess it's going to cost me my house. 
Because we're in this together. And it costs to be a Christian here. And so the question is, not do I have to sell my stuff to join the church. That's not what the question is here. The question for all of us, is the kingdom costing you so much that you need the church? Does the kingdom on a weekly basis, being a Christian, cost you so much that you can't wait to get to church? Because you're so depleted. Because you've been giving yourself for the sake of the gospel to others who don't know Jesus. And there, there are certain situations at work where you're being alienated. And so i got to get to my friends at church because <laughs> they're not going to alienate me. You, you lose status at work. And you have to come into the context of worship and be reminded, I can't lose status in the kingdom. I get to serve Jesus with all of these people. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. And you, you have to run to the church because it costs so much. The guy in BFG shows up and says, Guys, I depleted my bank account this week because my neighbor needed groceries. And my neighbor isn't a Christian. And I want him to believe in Jesus. And I've been building a relationship. And I realized he needed groceries this week. So I went out and bought groceries for him. And I shared the gospel with him. And in BFG, you go, well, that was not very smart. Let's talk about financial planning and let's help you out. But here, we'll help you out this week. Now let's pray for your friends. That's what it looks like. Are we sharing the cost? Are we looking at one another and saying, what did the gospel cost you this week? What did it cost you? Now let me, let me pray for you. You're spent in spending yourself for the sake of the gospel. Let me step into your life and help replenish you by reminding you of the promise. Is it costing you something where you have to have the church? Notice the text continues. And day by day they were attending the temple together and they're breaking bread in their homes. The, 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 the early church seemed to continue to, to worship in light of the Old Testament. They're going to the temple on Saturdays. Actually, many times in Acts, we see throughout the week they're at the temple sharing the gospel. And this was just sort of their activity. They continue to be reminded of the Old Testament worshiping in that way. And then they're, notice, breaking bread in homes. And notice what they're doing. They're receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. They are bound together in this mission. They are bound together in their worship. They are bound together in their evangelism. And then that is displayed by the way that they get in one another's homes and they eat. They eat food. Why, why even bring up food here? Because meals throughout the Bible are a sign of togetherness. The sacrifices in Leviticus in the Old Testament are often called meals. Because through the sacrifice, you're fellowshipping with God. And it's called a meal. And, and, and meals were to display fellowship. They were to display family. And in this culture, mills, they, they were slow and they were methodical. These folks would have laughed at fast food. Oh, you can't eat that fast. Because it wasn't about the food. It was about one another. And I sat down around a meal with you because we're, we're holding certain things in common as we hold this meal in common. It's why so often in the Gospels, we see Jesus having meals. He's dining with tax collectors and sinners. Why? He has fellowship. He's accepting them. 
Jesus instituted what we just talked about, the Lord's table, which is the meal of the kingdom. When we read Revelation, we see so much is surrounding a meal, a banquet hall in the New Jerusalem. And what's going on there? We have fellowship with one another and we have fellowship with God. We have meals that we display this fellowship through. It's just like my grandmother. Anytime anybody entered her house, the phrase was, it's not just a redneck joke. It's real. These things do happen in the South. Did y'all eat yet? Literally. Before, hello, how are y'all doing? Have y'all eaten? And why? Because families are not just a passing hello. And I'm going to feed you because if I feed you, that means you have to stay here. (laughs) And we have to sit down and talk. It's not just about eating. We're family. And in the context of the church, we're family. The church isn't a passing hello. And so often what we do is around meals because we're forcing ourselves to stop and remember we are a family that's going to be together a long, long time. And we remember that around food. But notice the result of it. There is joy and there is contentment. And we begin to see where fellowship leads. We hold the kingdom in common. We are displaying that through meals. And then in the hearts of the church, there is great joy and there is contentment. Notice they receive their food with gladness. There's, there's thanksgiving and their hearts begin to overflow for one another. There is the picture of joy here in their fellowship. And here it's a call to pursue this contentment. You see, some people talk about in the context of the church, discipleship and fellowship. There's this phrase called doing life together. Let's do life together. I don't know where it came from. It makes me feel weird. Anytime he says, let's do life together. Or, or the whole phrase, let's pour into one another. Ain't nobody pouring into me <laughs> but myself. I'm going to have a glass or whatever. But we have these weird phrases. The the definition of fellowship is sharing life together. It's actually we share this life together. We are bound together in life. And that's what you're seeing in the context of the church. And notice it's producing joy and contentment. The aloneness of this world is met with one another. You see, the height of joy is living before God, knowing he accepts you. Knowing I can live my life because of Jesus' death for me. I'm accepted by God so I can live my life before him accepted. And then we find that sort of contentment when we accept one another. We, 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 find, we taste God's acceptance of us in the acceptance of others and the fellowship of others. That's why the height of true fellowship is gospel fellowship. Knowing I can know you and still accept you because of the gospel. And you can know everything about me and accept me because of the gospel. Because God accepts me in the gospel. And that's where friendships and relationships take on a whole new level of contentment and joy and refreshment when we gather together in the gospel and know we can know one another and still be accepted. It's so interesting to me. We live in a culture where 
the expression, I feel alone. I, I think this week I read a stat that said three out of four adults feel alone most days. And we live in that culture where that's a reality. We live in a culture where church talks so much about community. I need a community. I need a community. And when we say to one another, this is how you find it. In the joy and acceptance of being with one another, holding the gospel in common in the context of the church, people say, whoa, 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 I don't have time for that. You want contentment in fellowship? Oh, we got it in the context of the church. Oh, I'm just too busy. Why are you forcing that on me? Oh, it's because it's what you need. And so I'd invite you today to pursue that fellowship because it's what you need. And there's great contentment in your life. Just this week, I met with a leader that I admire greatly. Part of a great ministry, doing great things for Jesus. And he met with me and said, I just got to share something with you. I fell alone as a leader. I, I worry a lot. I'm anxious about the next thing constantly. And in the middle of the conversation, I said, okay, stop. Because <laughs> you're describing me. You're describing me. And, and in that moment, you are holding in common the same struggle. And in that moment, because of the gospel, you know because God accepts you, I'm going to accept you. I'm going to accept you, brother. Guess what? I struggle with the same thing. And you fellowship around the struggle. And then you begin to point one another to Jesus and, and say, God accepts you. God has fellowship with you in Jesus despite your struggle, despite your sin. And there, that's how fellowship is formed, sharing the struggle, but sharing the gospel together. And that's the contentment the church is finding here. Notice verse 47. The church continues praising God and having favor with all the people. This is their worship. But, but also, I want you to notice something. The, the church is being persecuted and alienated. You're going to have apostles and disciples who are jailed, some killed. But you never look into the book of Acts and go, well, they're just miserable. They're just drudging along. We're Christians. This is miserable. Eeyore. You never see that. What do you see? Worship. They're finding joy in the gospel. It's a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. And they get together and they sing about it. And notice what it does. Favor or acceptance with all people. So the church is gathering together, accepting one another, fellowship with one another. And then what happens? The community begins to accept them because of their fellowship. And notice, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. And so the best evangelistic program for the church is our fellowship. We can come up with all kinds of tricks and gimmicks. All kinds of tracks. But the best evangelistic program in the history of the world is a church that just loves one another and accepts one another. And the gospel becomes tangible. The gospel becomes real as we look into one another's eyes and we know, you know this about me, but you still love me. Just like God knows this about me and he still loves me. And it draws people in. The, you understand this, hopefully. 
that most of the world, the, the unbelievers you're around on a daily basis, are just tired of the gimmicks. They're tired of church with gimmicks. Church that treats them like little children. Like, we're going to reinvent youth ministry from the 90s for adults. Well, I'm a grown man now. I don't need youth ministry from the 90s to enjoy church. No, what I need is a brother who's going to weep with me over my sin. I need a brother who's going to encourage me and remind me of the gospel. And that's what folks in this community are wanting. Tired of the gimmicks. They want people who will love them and accept them because of the gospel. And they want people who gather together and on Sunday we worship and say Jesus is worthy. And then we live like it. And our fellowship moves from worship to our kitchen tables to the streets. And so what does all of this have to do about BFG? Well, what we want to do with Bible fellowship groups is we want to take this window of fellowship that the church is to be in the world and we want to frame it up even more in small groups. The, the, the sign in the world that the kingdom is present is the church. And then we want to take these groups and we want you to experience that sort of fellowship in smaller groups. And what we do is we fellowship around worship in here. And so then we go into our BFGs and we, we cinch that night knot just a little bit tighter around the Word of God. What we've seen and what we've felt in worship, we hold together in an even smaller group. And we do so by applying the Word of God to our life. That's why they're called Bible fellowship groups because primarily we gather around the Bible. If you look at this group right here, 400 plus people, how in the world do I have fellowship with these people? Well, we've got to make it smaller, and we've got to hone that in. It's a target group, not an abstract crowd, where we gather around the Word of God together. And so in our BFGs, what we do is we take the Word of God and apply it to our life. And it is the sermon that is preached on Sunday morning. And so I want to tell you this, our Bible fellowship groups, they're not just another Bible study. Bible studies are fantastic. I love to study the Bible. I study the Bible for a living. That's how I get paid, is to study the Bible. And I love it. Wouldn't want to do anything else. And you should love it. And you should study the Bible more. And you should get resources to study the Bible more. I don't care if you haven't read since high school. Go, go start finding out resources how you can study the Bible more. But that's not what our Bible fellowship groups are. They are, it's an emphasis on doing the word of God that we have heard in worship. Because this, every time you hear a sermon, read your Bible, and you don't change anything in your life, guess what happens? Your heart becomes even more hard to the Bible. There's callous that begins to grow. I didn't respond then, so I'm not going to respond now. It's just like your kids. You tell them to do something, they don't do it. You tell them to do something, they don't do it. And the longer you let them get away with not doing something, guess what? They don't even hear you anymore. And the same thing happens in the heart of the Christian. And, and I feel like in our culture, we are so glutted on information that we are rarely doing anything. 
And so we want to apply the Word of God, and that's what we do in our Bible fellowship groups. Let me ask you the question. When was the last thing that you, the last time when you changed something in your life, you intentionally changed the way you do something because of something you read or heard in the Word of God? When was the last time you did that? Where you said, I'm making a change, and you applied the Word of God. You see, in BFGs, we want to rip that callus off. And we'll say, pray for me. Because I heard the word today, and I need to reconcile with a family member. And I want you guys to pray for me, and I want you to ask me next week if I did that. that, That's we, we keep one another from allowing the Bible to become background noise. I need to be a better husband. Make sure you hold me accountable for doing that. I need to be gracious and kind in the home. Y'all pray for me. And you make sure to ask me next week if that's going on. Because I don't want the Bible to become background noise in my life. And, And we share the Word of God with BFG and in BFG. Do you understand when you're in a small group like that, those are the people who will immediately benefit from you applying the Word of God. If you say... Well, I heard the word of God today and I need to love and serve more like Jesus. How do I do that? BFG group me. Go find that group text, whatever your BFG uses. I think in the last 48 hours in our BFG, there was two deaths of grandparents and then there was a prayer request for praying for someone who wasn't a Christian who was gonna hear the gospel, I think even today. And so you say, how am I apply the word of God? Oh, immediately my BFG. I need to serve these people who lost a loved one this week. I need to encourage this girl who's sharing the gospel. Immediately, you have to apply the word of God to an immediate context of people. And it's no longer abstract. There are names and there are faces who you're sitting in a living room together with. And you have to apply the word of God. These people will be directly affected if you do not apply the word of God. You hear a sermon on forgiveness. Who do I need to forgive? Well, you know, two weeks ago, our kids got into a fight, BFG. And I think it was her kid's fault. She thinks it was my kid's fault. But now there's a sermon on forgiveness. So am I going to forgive? Am I going to be merciful or gracious? Immediately, I have an opportunity to respond to the word of God. I can't escape it in the small group. I can't get away from it. She didn't like my pimento cheese. (laughs) Who brings pimento cheese to BFG? And you were pouty about it. You mumbled about it. By the way, I love pimento cheese. (laughs) Well, now I have to go to her and ask for forgiveness over pimento cheese sandwiches. And guess what she gets to do? Forgive me. So I get to apply humility and meekness. And she gets to apply grace. And immediately we're applying the word of God in those small groups. We share the mission together. Here's a statement that we use around here often. When you aim for fellowship, you will miss both fellowship and mission. But if you aim for mission, you will get fellowship and mission. You understand that? If we're just saying fellowship, fellowship, let's try to be, let's try to have fellowship, let's have fellowship, let's have fellowship, then most often we're going to miss fellowship. But if we say to one another, we're on a mission together and we're bound together by that same mission, just like a 
an army, just like soldiers who are in a platoon together, and they're on a mission together, and they fight together, and they protect one another. And we've seen the movies by the end. They're, they're weeping and they're crying. They've lost soldiers. They've celebrated with soldiers. And they're bound together in this almost otherworldly sort of fellowship and community and family. And that happens in the context of our BFG. As we're on mission in the world together, we are bound together. It's one of the reasons we are so intent on our small groups being the hub of all service. We need something done, we immediately go to our BFGs. By the way, pulling BFG off is a mission altogether, right? You got food and you got a house and then this person's sick and this person. You are constantly working together just to pull BFG off. And then we ask you to serve at Access. And we ask you to do all these different things. What's going on there? You're on a mission together and you are being bound together. You're becoming a family, a little army together in the context of the church. A platoon who is struggling and fighting together. Which is fellowship. We share life together because we share the gospel together. We live in a culture that claims to be connected. And yet I said earlier, we live in a culture that feels more alone than ever. We have all of these fake connections, digital connections, and we don't even know how to share life together. We're miserable in our little pixelated worlds. And if BFG does anything for you, it forces you to come out of that world. And you got to go to somebody's house that ain't yours. And you got to go to a neighborhood that ain't your neighborhood. And you have to walk into the front door. Just admit, that's awkward. Some of you have never gone to a BFG because that is the craziest thing in the world to actually go to another person's house that I don't know, that's not me, Ma. It's not a family member. So I got to go to their house. And I got to walk in the door. And it's awkward and it's weird. But you know what it's doing? It's forcing you to have to engage with real people. It's forcing you to remember that this is all real, that this is all flesh and blood. It forces you to remember that that fellowship isn't a passing hello. You're forced to interact with one another. But all of this is because we share the gospel together. We, we live in a world where throughout the week, I'm, I'm doing this for this person. I have this role at work. I have this role as a parent. I have this role as a coach. I have this role as a teacher. I have this role at church. I have all of these roles throughout the week. And so often we can forget who we are. We, we put all these filters on ourselves. We pretty ourselves up on social media. And we forget who we are. We forget what's most important. And then I sit down in BFG and I hear the person across begin to share their struggle with sin. And I'm reminded of who I am, a sinner, a struggler. And as I hear them talk about their struggles and their sin and their prayer request, I'm reminded that's me. That's who I am. And we begin to fellowship because we begin to hold our struggles together. And then we begin to say, and you know what? Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. You're accepted in Christ. And you need Jesus. 
And so we, we hold the gospel together. That's, that's what fellowship is, holding the gospel together. And as we hold the gospel together, we hold one another. You see, the lady that I mentioned earlier was actually a lady in our BFG. And she sat down and I just asked her, hey, how did you hear about Ashland? She said, well, I've been asking about churches in our city. And every time I ask somebody about Ashland, that's what they said. Is those people really love each other and they would die for one another. And I started to say, well, that's not true. (laughs) No, I think you do love one another. I really do. Because you love me. But I started to say, that's a little overstated. Like, that sounds weird, right? That, that sounds weird. Don't tell anybody else that. <laughs> because people are going to wonder what we do in here. And then I stopped, and was, I was just so thankful. This is a pastor. That's what you want, right? And I, I love you. <laughs> I really do. I'm so thankful for this church. And to hear that, it, it was really... It was amazing because the book of Acts so often is a comic book. And community like that is a fairy tale. But I can tell you it's real here because I experience it daily. And if you don't, I want to invite you to it. Some of you are sitting back going, community me, community me, fellowship me, fellowship me. And no, you're going to have to plug in. And you're going to have to pursue these things. But I will tell you it is worth it. And why is it worth it? Because I know a bunch of people here who hold Jesus in common. They're clinging to Christ together and it is hard and it is painful at times. But I do believe there's a group of people here who would die for one another because I see them sacrifice for one another. I see them die to their own sin, becoming vulnerable before one another dying to their schedules to serve one another. And why is this? It's because they hold a Jesus. It's no, it's no fairy tale. A Jesus who did die for the one another called the church. Let's pray.